Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! We are here for the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito. And I'm that is Shelly Moo. Yep. Hi. Hi. I was confused because your claps didn't show up on my on 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 our conversation for some reason. So oh. you're Whatever's yeah. happening there is filtering out such terrible Weird. sounds as clapping. Well, I mean, that is not good. Why would you filter out applause? That's what I'm saying. That's Those are good, fast sounds. Yes, uh, that is. Especially we need when it. you're doing a show. Yes, everybody needs a little applause now and again. It's true. So are, when you are doing your D&D club, are you going <gasps> to ask for applause? Are you going to be like, and now please clap? I am probably going to get one of those big neon signs that say applause, <laughs> applause, so they know. <laughs> also, when I walk into the room, I absolutely expect applause. Like, I'm going to be, like, a little bit late into the room and then make a big grand entrance. Oh, my gosh. Is it right? going to be, like, uh, Ricky Gervais in the uh, <laughs> thing? You're going to bring in a boombox with, like, a... Maybe. And you start doing your moves. We need an entrance song, a walk-on song. A walk-on song. I definitely think... Like, obviously, this D&D club is really just for me. Yeah. Just to feed my ego. Mm. Let me know if you need any, like, confetti poppers or anything to kind of... absolutely will. Make this it a is... flash bomb. So this time, well, by the time you all hear this episode, I will have had one session under my belt. Wow. Who and would that, have thought the seven-year journey that we've been on <laughs> to get you to Dungeon Master in I, front of people would have, would, have, would have happened? I'm not kidding. I actually thought about that today. Wow. I'm like, I can't believe I'm a Dungeon Master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I know. I, I was see really your pride right there. You're like, I can't believe it. Ooh. I can't believe I did this. I, <laughs> I can't believe that I like you know, I there's there's things that I'm uncomfortable with and I just let myself be uncomfortable with them because I think I am a grown ass woman. I don't want to skydive. I'm not gonna skydive. I'm not the kind of person that's just gonna be like, push yourself. But right. With some things, like things that I could potentially die from doing. I don't care that much about skydiving. I used to. I used to feel bad that I wasn't a somebody. Skydiver? Yeah, or like somebody that was like, I feel like I should be more adventurous or I should challenge myself more. And now I'm like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, just be happy with the things that you are doing and enjoy your life. Don't Don't always be out there looking for... Something you're not doing because you feel like you should be doing it. Who cares? Uh, that said, uh, if you want to do something, well, if you do have the desire, like unlike that. unlike dungeon mastering, though, because I guess there was something in me that really did want to do it, mm. which is why I said, "You must challenge yourself. Send that email and offer your services. And if the universe wants you to be a dungeon master, then the school will say yes. We want your club. And now look." If you build it, they will come. I, Greg, I mean, it's just so weird to think like that there's going to be kids playing D&D on Friday because because Bart and I are going to make that happen. And like for some, they'll just be like, cool. Yeah. It's like, and on Mondays I go to drumming class, like whatever. It's just like something they do. But for some, potentially this could be like, a 
really big thing. It could ignite something. They could be like future Rufus Hounds. They could be right. like future Duffer Brothers. They could be they could future be like Deborah Ann Walls. They future Stefan McNanches. Oh, who hopefully. is our guest today? Okay. Um, and has made his, uh, uh, you know, life's mission uh, about introducing kids to uh, Dungeons and Dragons through the classroom, through game-based learning, and using this game to teach different ways. And he speaks about it so brilliantly. I'm oh. so excited to chat with him. Yes, I am too. Um, Stefan always leaves me very inspired. Um, just a very, he's got a great uh, a mission, a great, great thing going with Unboxed. So yeah. Very excited to have him be our guest today. Let's learn all about what he's doing and where he got started right about now. Let's welcome Stefan McNinch to Dragon Talk! Yay! Yay! Stefan! <laughs> hey, everybody. Yay! So excited for you to be here. Yes. Likewise. You are a uh, teacher, an educator, uh, and a, uh, a a fan of D anD. I might add, right? Yeah, long time fan of D anD. A lot of game designer in there as well. Excellent. Um, so yeah, let's let's start with that. Like, when did, when did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? We haven't asked uh, a, a question right yeah. off the bat of what your origin story is. So and, let's uh, let's get to that because I think that's going to be informing all of this conversation. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was a bit of a late bloomer, actually. Um, mm. I had grown up in, in periphery to D&D for a long time. I was always a fan. I loved RPGs, but most of my RPG plays had been through video games. A lot of my friends, um, but never really clicked into actually getting a long-term campaign together until uh, I was a teacher. And about my second of seven years of teaching, a group of students, kind of in the, the Bibliophile type of um, Lord of the Ring fans, uh, mm-hmm. approached me and asked me to sponsor a D&D club. And uh, I jumped at the opportunity. I was a creating, creative writing major in college. So I absolutely nice. jumped at the chance of, of being a DM. And that started a five-year run with, the, with, um, with that after-school club. It started with a group of uh, about nine students, eventually by the end of that first year, most of them in fifth grade. And one of them, actually, I just hired onto our program after 10, oh. 11 years. He found wow. me on LinkedIn based on an article, which I should probably credit Wizards and the, the surrounding media about that. But he found me, sent me an email over the summer. I think it was actually maybe a week or two after the SEL uh, talk we did. Um, oh, and, cool. Yeah, he invited me. They said, hey, Mr. Rudinch, uh, are we all still play D&D? Um, huh. We found you on LinkedIn. I would love to host you and be the DM and and you know show you how the the student has become the master. And so I wow. I went and played a game with them. Um, they're like in their uh, high high aughts now, low twenties. Um, and uh, one of them was a nursing student, um, college bound. All of them, and we played a, a long time uh, a game, a, a one shot game, and it was nice because I think it's. Of 11 or 12 years of playing D&D, I think that was my fifth session as an actual player as opposed oh, wow. to a, a DM. Yeah, it's one of those one of those jokes. You, you build a 100 bridges before you're a bridge builder, but you DM one time and you're all-time DM forever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was actually a player and it was nice to get some payback because I completely derailed his campaign for five hours and that was delightful. Uh, and then a couple of <laughs> oh, days Oh, wow, the later, tables have turned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And a couple of days later, I actually needed to hire a new instructor. And I didn't even think about it um, until I was in kind of crisis mode. And then I said, wait, I just played with a, a DM who's really passionate about it. He's very competent. He's been through this program. He knows he knows how it works and what we're trying to do. So I gave him a call and I said, hey, here's what, we, here's what I do now. I don't think I actually explained what it is they do in the program <laughs> that we offer. Um, would you like to be an instructor? And he said, absolutely. So even though I knew I was going to hire him, I, I got to put him through the whole application process and resume <laughs> and ask him, drill him a bunch of questions. Um, but yeah, he was, he was one of our, our first hires this semester. That, so that was, is so exciting. Yeah. And that was I, from the very first first group of students that I that I ran the club with. And uh and then after that, uh it transformed quite a bit because I was a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. And so just by proximity of my other special ed students by by year three or four of the club, uh about half of the club was actually special ed students. And at that point I realized that it was less of a recreational club and more of a tutoring and mentoring club. So that's when I really started getting into the game-based learning um, ideologies and theories and some of the academics around it, um, which is nowhere near, nowhere near what I do now. But but it definitely turned into into developing some sorts of those techniques and, and designing that into the game itself. It's fascinating. Um, so I we worked together over the summer. You meant mm-hmm. you referenced this with the International Literacy Association. You sat on a panel for us talking about the uh, how to build emotional literacy mm-hmm. with Dungeons and Dragons. And I think people who've played it for a long time probably, maybe they've noticed some of these inherent benefits that are associated with playing. Like you just, you know, the, the team building, the collaboration, the, the leadership, if you're mm-hmm. a dungeon master. And, but I think for a lot of people, it, this is, I mean, certainly for a lot of, of the educators who attended those panels, this is sort of a new concept right. of the yeah. gamification, like edu gaming and all that. Can you speak a little bit just about what that truly means, what that is, and some of of the benefits that you've actually seen through putting yeah. this into practice? Yeah, it's one of one of the, like two two of the most common questions are how do I utilize this in the classroom and uh, what is game-based learning. And I'll, I'll differentiate game-based learning which game, with gamification, which is, I think, a, a more familiar to most people. And gamification is you already have the existing content and you layer on top of it game, game-like elements. And that's badges, trophies, scoreboard, scoreboards, like turning things into like Jeopardy, those types of things. Game-based learning is you actually start with the game and then you find ways to integrate the content into the game itself. So the game becomes the central design feature. Uh, and the difference there for me is both sides will claim different benefits and drawbacks. Um, but the benefit for me of, of game-based learning is I think it's I think it's more engaging. And I think designing the game itself is harder, um, or sorry, yeah, it's harder than designing um, the content or finding the content. So I think once you have an established game that already has really good systems in place that already takes care of uh, what I'll talk about, the additive scoring and the elements of agency, um, and the feedback systems um, and stuff like that. I think it's a lot easier to then find ways to uh, integrate the content, embed the content, find ways to make it more topical than uh, than to to invent the game itself. Um, so I feel like the biggest challenge I would have in your role is not just crying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't. I well first like we've never I've never left a conversation with you personally not 
totally inspired to just like go find some kids and make them play D&D immediately. Uh, so I guess I will credit you with part of the reason why in exactly 50 hours and 16 minutes, I will be standing in front of 11 kids like starting the first ever D D club at my oh, son's wow. school. Not that I'm not like, you know, counting the hours and freaking <laughs> out about it, but yes. Um, and I know, I just, I feel like such a, a duty to the, to this mm-hmm. club that mm-hmm. like, and I, I got an email from one of the parents and they were like, Oh, my son had a D and D themed birthday party. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> How am I going to be with these kids and see some really amazing things happening around them and around the table and without just bursting into tears like several times a game session? I mean, your work is so rewarding. It has to be. <laughs> yeah, it is. Not- uh, but the antidote to that is also that just children are amazing at ruining things as well. <laughs> well, that's um, true. So, I mean, I didn't say the tears were always going to be like for a right. good reason. Happy <laughs> tears. Oh, <the> frustration, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're doing it academically and you have all these pretty, pretty theories and philosophies and then the kids respond with diverse needs and human context. And yeah. it's, it's insufferable. Yeah. yeah. No uh, teacher's plan uh, survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, the other thing I'll say to that is, yeah, it does become um, more than a club. It becomes its own community. And and there's there's definitely because of, of what I'll call it, the democratization of the rules and the, the way the, the, the kids interact with it. They actually get to build their, their own characters, their avatars. They get some of that abstraction. They get to explore with their identity. Um, they get to test boundaries. There's a lot of uh, really nuanced maturity involved with it. And I think you'll find that you really do become um, not intentionally uh, excluding others, but you you do develop this this really intimate setting in which you share a lot of secrets and you try a lot of things, um, and there's just a lot of trust and, and intimacy involved in it. Mm-mm. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm scared. There's too much. No, this is it is it is amazing, and I think you know, like you have said, and I've heard you talk about the. That some of the innate characteristics in children lend themselves to Dungeons and Dragons, curiosity and imagination being two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we we will pose this this question that about curiosity and imagination and how best to exercise those traits in kids, and what happens if you don't. That is a really good question and a really hard question. That's the most recent one I've been tackling, and I'm very excited about it. But uh, I'm also worried that it's making me a bit of a, a pessimist. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh oh. Because it's, I had to think a lot about it because of the uh, the growing alarm that I've seen with kids not valuing it, and not necessarily. I'll challenge that it's that it's maybe not innate uh, as much as I think we think it is in in children. Um, and the curiosity and imagination is actually a skill and a muscle that needs to be practiced and developed way more than than we possibly give it credit for. Even five years ago, when I I left teaching and I left the original club, um, versus uh, these days, and I'll I have to give a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of blame on the on the pandemic um, and what it's really done to to students and, and socialization and maturity. Not not to mention academic 
academic way, um, but really challenging them in terms of of planning, um, even doing some of the fun stuff like character building and world building um, and fleshing out some of those ideas has been really painful for them. We mm. uh, Even when we started introducing this semester, our RPG for our SEL class, uh, which we invented the SEL class uh, out, of, out of scratch, really, last semester, because we noticed that almost no academic rigor was was getting done um, because of their their need for resocialization and their need for uh, a lot of a lot of this emotional literacy and vocabulary and regulation that they just hadn't been getting for two years um, and so we did just say we need we need a complete baseline of, of social emotional learning that doesn't even worry about you know trying to cram any knowledge as opposed to just getting them to a baseline of interacting, cooperating, um, daydreaming, daydreaming again, being creative. And so we developed this class. And in one of our first runs, uh, we were, I think the kids were, um, had just gotten scammed by a merchant, as one does when they first introduced <laughs> to D&D. And they tried to get their money back. And um, I tried to incite them to to come up with a really elaborate plan using all their skills that, you know, we had spent like two days developing and then they said, well, can't we just walk into his house and take the money back? And I uh-huh. said, well, you can, but I, you know, you, that's probably like a 19 or 20 roll. And sure enough, they roll 19. So they just <laughs> walk into the oh, house. Oh, no, no. And they steal the money. And so I said, well, uh, little known to you, he was actually part of a larger crime syndicate. And now they're going to be on the hunt for this money. Um, what are you going to do with it? And they said, well, maybe we can find a way to spread it around the whole community and to all the other people he scammed and, and build up this community that's, that's impoverished. And I said, that's an awesome idea. Let's plan how to do that. And then they go, oh, that's too hard. Let's just take <gasps> it and run. Are so, you that, serious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that is, that's, that's been a recurring theme is as soon as the, the long-term planning, um, developing some of those ideas out, as soon as that's been introduced – then then they really kind of kind of take the low easy road on that one. And I think a lot of that is because, let's say with video games, uh, a lot of those sorts of algorithms and calculations are done on the back end where they don't really see it. Uh, so the, the idea that an input doesn't automatically create the immediate output that they're looking for, that's been a really tough sell for them. So we've but had to... What's the difference between just play styles there, right? Because I feel like that's something I run into when I play with adults even too, where yes, it yeah. seems like that's a, that, that I have had uh, wonderful sessions with an amazing group of, of role players, but then we spend three hours planning how we're going to assault this castle and don't actually even do it that session, right? Like we have to postpone mm-hmm. to the next session mm-hmm. because we're waiting so, so long. And I feel like I would, in, your, in the, what you were just describing, I would be like those kids too. I'd just be like, well, let's just do it. Why do we have to spend time planning something? Let's just go out into the square and throw money around. Like I feel like that's a style and a, a, a improv thing versus a um, not having social emotional learning working for you. How do you differentiate the, between those those two ideas? That's a good question. Uh, I think part of it is patience and resilience, and that's one thing I think games teach. Uh, and video games, I don't know that they teach uh, because. Because tabletop tend to be turn-based um, as well as longer campaigns and less immediate feedback. I think uh, you do develop more patience and resilience, especially as being a longtime tabletop player. I think that builds up. Um, the, other, the other thing I would say is, yeah, I'd be curious about the research of longtime 
tabletop players and their levels of resilience and patience. Uh, the other thing I think that culturally we're, we're, we're becoming less comfortable with uncertainty. And to me, that's a lot of what a curiosity and imagination is about. I would call, because we're, our brains are developed to, to recognize and identify patterns and solving patterns. I think what curiosity is, is when we don't have uh, the missing gap for an informational pattern. It's our brain haranguing us to, to secure that information and imagination is the way we tinker with that puzzle. And I would say there's a puzzle has a solution and a mystery um, doesn't necessarily have a solution or one that we can actually say for, for sure is, is the, the actual answer. And I think we're becoming less and less comfortable with mysteries and we're trying to turn everything into puzzles. So I wonder if that's also a cultural thing that I'm also seeing with the kids is they do not like uncertainty and it's very uncomfortable for them to not have that immediate gratification. And I think that's because in everything they do, um, they can know the answer to anything immediately by looking it up. Uh, anything that they, uh, like there's, there's a very high input environment with all of the digital media that they, they interact with. And I think that's part of the problem, especially because over the last two years, uh, especially in a low income uh, household, which is the demographic we work with, uh, they also, I think, average about 1.5 hours more than, than the average, uh, child or household. And so the last time, let's say a third grader has been in the classroom has been kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So imagine those two years they lost in terms of numeracy and literacy. And I asked one of our students, I think even a sixth grade student, the last book that he remembered, he couldn't recall a single book he'd ever read. And I think when you lose that, especially when you lose that primary age of unstructured thought, daydreaming, practicing mental visualization, um, playing pretend, um, high input environments as opposed to high output environments, uh, then I think that that muscle and that that imaginative mm -hmm. and, and curious muscle, uh, I think doesn't get a lot of exercise. And Well, I, I guess I'm curious because you're saying that, that this is a change, like that now kids are acting this way. But I would probably argue that 10 years ago, kids might have done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good question. I couldn't, I have no, I, I don't right? have like, enough. Because uh, instant gratification, at least with D&D &D play, is kind of what it's all about at a certain age, right? Like once you get to more middle school and high school, I think there's a lot more analytics and strategy and, and things like that. But I found when I play with kids in the, in the elementary school ages, they, that's not what they want. They, they want to be able to have fun with their friends and joke around. And obviously I know there's a different context when you're doing it in an in a, in a educational uh situation but i feel like there's ways that we can teach them those things without making it feel like you're they're making the wrong call right yeah that's a good point um and yeah my my only basis of comparison is the groups that i ran five years ago uh the difference there being that i had five years to develop that rapport and that trust right. um and so yeah and so maybe it's just a long time coming and it's my own fault for for wanting that immediate <laughs> gratification of like <laughs> right you wanted the teacher's gratification yeah. you want to be like oh exactly. i got something out of this so no i mean that's a that's a great challenge um and i don't i don't have the answer to that uh but uh and yeah, it's it's very recent that I'm I'm starting to think about these things and how to how to combat it and how to develop. Uh, we're trying different warm ups. Oops. We're trying different warm ups um, to to try and um, instill some creativity. We're trying different things with community um, to to lay that emotional baseline, get that trust in our poor. And and certainly by the end of even the semester, you can notice um, that that the kids uh, definitely have are more willing at least to engage and try things. Um, and that's also speaks to the idea of, of what I would call 
lateral failure or productive failure, mm. which is way different than punitive failure. So once they once they realize that you're not in it to evaluate them or judge them, and there's no there's you know there's no score ticking down, um, and that that failure is actually oh it's not that I can't do this, it's that I have to figure out a different way to do it. And right. sure, yeah, absolutely, I I will concede that 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 does take time and that takes a a lot of also emotional relationships to develop. And that's just one of the cool things that D and D can teach. Uh, is that right? That there's it's not necessarily that you're doing things wrong, but that there's there might be a a path in which mm-hmm. there's there's a higher chance of success, and you have to teach them to be able to use uh, uh, the group, right? The different skills right. of the group to be able to find that yeah. that you know more optimal choice. Yeah, exactly. And and not only that, but then you also get the the added benefit of being able to identify with your strength, like you are the the guy or or girl that can you know do this thing, you are the the tank or you're the magician or you're the problem solver. Uh, you're the leader, you're the treasurer, you're the But even they of. can fail, right? Even yeah. those people, even yeah. your specialty yeah. can fail yeah. uh, if you roll if you roll poorly. So I think that's such a great lesson mm-hmm. to to teach mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that, I think that's one of my favorite things about playing with kids is that like making that failure actually kind of fun. There's good mm-hmm. stories that come out of that. Do you think that that because the dice have a big part to play, and it is very random sometimes on that success and failure, that that kind of frees them a little bit from being afraid of, of failure. Like Because like Greg was saying, like you're not judging them. Like to, to make them not, to make them feel like, or like you were saying, they're not being evaluated. Like this mm-hmm. isn't, you know, like, you're not getting tested on that. It's really just kind of an arbitrary decision. Is that freeing? Just... It's not you. It's the dice. Uh, I I don't know if I can answer that yet because one of the one of the surprising things this semester as well is with with the group of kids that that we were we were teaching. We had to explain dice quite a bit more than I thought. I, I thought mm. you would just break out the dice and they'd be really excited. Uh, but the idea of randomness was was pretty foreign to them. Uh, and I think again because uh, video games, which they're far more familiar with, do it do that on the back end. You don't really see yeah. a lot of the input and output randomness going on. So the, the idea of rolling a dice and then the number course corresponding with some sort of outcome was really strange for them. Um, mm-hmm. But they did eventually come around to just I don't even know if it's the arbitrary nature of the dice so much as just the tactile nature of rolling the dice and yeah. having any outcome happen. Just but this just that. The idea of just, yes, I'm going to do this thing. I'm just going to throw these dice in. I don't even know if they really care what happens. Um, just that that some of them just really enjoy like the feel of those dice, like the density of them, rolling them. And that they could probably just make a game out of just rolling dice all day long. <laughs> That's awesome. But how, And so you, you, you've done a lot of research. You've read a lot of research around this. So I think this is an interesting kind of segue here in that you were talking about anecdotal uh, uh, things that you've observed in your, you know, sphere, but like, how does that translate to to like kind of the larger uh, human experience, right? Because certainly, what hap- what what happens in your classroom or or even in Shelley's club later on, you know, is, is not necessarily what's going to happen in everybody's club or with mm-hmm. one particular group of kids, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it really does matter what the makeup of that group ends up being, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how how do how do how do we approach this kind of academically? Like you know, here's the benefits and here's the best cases. But in some ways, you know, each teacher and each educator, each person running a club is also rolling the dice to you know to see what 
the outcomes are going to be uh, and and what learning because as you said I love that idea about there being like the game based learning because the game comes first and then you kind of mm-hmm. figure out what you're teaching as it goes so uh, yeah how do you how do how do we maximize that and give the best tools to the educators so that they can have the best outcome yeah I think that is the question and again it's those those pesky diverse needs in human contexts um, but what if, <laughs> what if humans. <laughs> Uh, what I found so far, and this this again, this is stuff we constantly have to throw at the wall and see what sticks, uh, because mm. uh, yeah, the kids the kids tend to ruin a lot of our assumptions time and time again. But the, the three <laughs> that that seem to have stuck are like our AAA framework that I've that I referenced uh, a lot, and it's it's what we base a lot of our um, teachings on. It's agency abstraction and additive scoring, and agency is is what I was talking about earlier about the democratization is really. Uh, because kids want, they want that sense of control and they want that independence. Mm. They want, because their their lives in school especially are so regimented, there's so much instruction, you know, so many expectations of what they ought to be doing, that giving them a little bit of, it's not even necessarily freedom, but independence, that uh, they can make choices that actually mean something and, and create meaning out of their effort and choices. That's a big one. I think that's a, that's a, a a foundation um, that that can be that exists in any any classroom, and that's just a, that's a cultural and a community thing. I think community is a big one. That also, when it comes to the rules process, uh, that they feel like they are part of it, um, they get to agree to the rules for once, um, and that instills a an element of fairness. And they also get a feel that when they help create some rules, and then they they feel more responsible to abide by those rules. I think that gives them a sense of integrity that then maybe they don't they don't feel um often as well um and again with those that uh that once you establish those things and you have a group that have the complementary strengths um they can also forgive their weaknesses and they can actually for once identify by their strengths as opposed to being punished for the weaknesses then uh then you have you know you have bonds you have camaraderie you have cooperation and teamwork um i think that's the the agency aspect of that is a really big one as well as with the uh, abstraction in that games, especially role-playing games, are a buffer between reality and getting to to fantasize and tinker uh, with identity and, and conflict resolution. We had uh, a girl uh, in our creative writing class last semester who approached me in the hallway one time. We were just chatting and it looked like she was, she was pensive about something and she finally asked me, do you know what the word queer means? And Ooh. I said, yeah. And she said do you know anybody who's queer? And I said, sure, I have friends who identify as queer. And I asked her, asked her why. And she said, I, I've been thinking about it and I think I might be that. But she seemed very, her mind was blown that that somebody else like recognized that word and maybe had some sort of reference for it. And um, I said, well, okay, that's, that's great. Um, do you want to develop a character or, or add that to your character and, and try it out in the world? And, 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 you know, experiment with it and see see how that feels. And she said, okay. And so she started writing writing the identity. She was a big writer. Um, and I think part of that whole conversation was based on, uh, I taught her the word catharsis um, because she was a big uh, big writer. And I thought her about the, the, the catharsis and the therapy and writing. And she really took and ran with that. And so when she started developing this character, she actually disengaged from the game to start just writing about this character over and over. And she asked me, uh, if she could continue to write the these stories um, about her character the next week instead of playing the game. And I said, of course, sure, go for it. Um, what, what interests you about them? And she said, I don't know. I just really like these stories. They keep me company. And mm. like that is one of those moments that I'll, that I'll just never forget. Wow. Um, but that is, that's, yeah, that's the power of, 
of, and it, it, game-based learning is not going to, it's not going to hit the same for every student. It's not even going to be, it's no silver bullet. It doesn't, it's not right for every student, but the ones that it does reach, um, then they, it definitely leaves, leaves its own form of impact for sure. And then the last one we've talked about, it, it's the additive scoring, which, which to me is just creating, creating a system where, uh, failure is, is not phobic, right? There's, it's not a fearful thing. It's a productive thing that, um, it's, it's a path to success mm -hmm. and shifting it from, I can't do this to, I need to try something different. Uh, that I think is, is one of the most powerful things that the games do and the systems with the, within games and the, the feedback systems. Absolutely. Love that. That's amazing. I feel like that story about that young writer is one like 20 years from now, we're going to read about her and she's going <laughs> to, she's going to hearken back to that, that hallway conversation with her first dungeon master. <laughs> I actually, I actually saw her a little bit before the holidays and she completely intentionally ignored me and didn't acknowledge me. And I said, that's nice. okay. I've already yep. got the sound bite. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you have served your purpose, young child. <laughs> How, yes. Yeah, I was going to ask what the what what level uh, what what grade were 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 they in when they were? She was a about sixth grader. Sixth grader. All right. Mm. I, mean, I have a sixth grader, so that's mm. uh, something that there's certainly a lot of talk about uh, uh, in this day and age. And I think that's amazing that you were able to kind of give that outlet for 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 experimentation before the the idea of of, of Showing everybody in middle school <laughs> your your your, yeah. your identity. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when oh no, please finish. Oh, I was just uh, to, to I think to answer the second part of the question about tools um, that that teachers can use, uh, and it does take it takes a lot of effort. So there's there's certainly a scale of how much effort you want to put into it. But I think regardless, it takes a, it takes vulnerability. Um, absolutely, to kind of engage in those in in that sense of community and really let yourself you know, do the daydreaming, do the fantasizing, get excited about some really geeky things, really put yourself into it because the kids are only going to respond with as much enthusiasm and vulnerability as you put into it. So that is absolutely a tool. And and ask, uh, find out what they're really interested in because one of the things we we have to, I'll say, uh, coexist with instead of compete with is, is um, mainstream and popular culture. Like, absolutely. Uh, like TikTok and uh, popular video games, and uh, the kids want to see that no matter what they're doing. They want that stuff in the game. Um, they want to talk about it. They want to think about it. So we do have to find ways to integrate pop culture. And uh, we had a student who was um, uh, had, a, had a lot of trouble with emotional uh, regulation and even uh, at one point uh, attacked a girl with a pencil. Um, and we had to, we had to make the decision of, do we remove him from the classroom or, you know, do we work extra hard and try to figure out, you know, how to, how to recapture him? And so we, we kept him in the room and I'd, I'd started realizing what he had been telling us the whole time, which is one, he loves to draw. And two, he loves Encanto. He, he colors all the pictures. Um, he, uh, he sung the songs every day, like in, on the way to class, uh, after class. And so I said, I mean, it was right there in front of me the whole time. So we got him back into the RPG. We uh, let him exist as a character from Encanto, living in the world from Encanto. And when he got enough behavior points from cooperating within the game, we had our little dare, uh, door ceremony where he got to walk through his door and get his own power, oh. which was uh, that his pencil could bring anything to life that he drew. So oh. now we we reframed that pencil from a weapon to a tool, and he's still and I he, he chose to come back to the class this semester as well, and he's he's one of my favorite students, um, and he's he's yeah he's, he's an absolute joy. 
Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so just listening to what they're telling you and how they want to play the game, right? What they're interested in, how they want to learn, because you can, you can, you know, embed learning in, in lots of different ways with lots of different tools. I love that you're basically taking the tools you have learned as being a dungeon master, yeah. listening to your players, you know, uh, seeing their, their excitement around a certain topic or a plot point, and then like, okay, well, we're going to go do this instead, and, and applying it in a learning environment. It's so, mm-hmm. uh, it's so smart. I, w- yeah. I wish more teachers were doing these type of things instead of, this is my way. Like I had a teacher uh, who, uh, when I was in sixth grade, uh, said that you had to highlight things in a book. Like you had to use a highlighter and highlight uh, things, and that was the only way you could learn. And I was like, I just don't learn that way. And there was clash. There was so much clash around around oh, my way versus someone else's Greg. way. It's like, <laughs> God, if you just had someone, you know, uh, uh, like, like you, Stephen, who can just be like, Oh no, this is how. Okay, let's just see the way you learn and 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 give you the tools best for that, right? It's, and now you're uh, right. terrified of highlighters now. I yeah, no, I hate highlighters. I, this like, I love hearing young Greg stories. I'm like, mm-hmm, <laughs> then that's where your that dislike it, yeah. of authority started. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it started before that. <laughs> earlier, it even was earlier. Certainly a part of that. <laughs> but the highlighters, yeah, and like not, you know, punishing him, uh, not like like actually recognizing what was going on and turning it into a positive is something I think most people's reaction would just be get him out of the club, discipline him, and then what? And then he would lose this really powerful tool in his life, this really positive force. So that patience and just being insightful, rolling high on your insight check (laughs) are uh, all very beneficial. Now, is this all happening through unboxed, the, your nonprofit? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last last semester when we had our creator reference class, we we partnered with a, a local literacy nonprofit called Austin Bat Cave. Um, so we co-branded with them. But this um, as of now, we're running everything through Unboxed. So when kids like how do kids get enrolled in one of your after school sessions? So right now it's it's all through the campuses. So uh, we work in in a specific region of Austin. And uh, everything goes through um, the campuses with which we work. Um, and then it's just uh, the students who are on campus electing to, to go into the club. So okay. it's not parent funded. Um, it's grant funded through the, the after school grants that the, the campuses use. Okay. So the kids are so saying, yes, this sounds fun for me. I want to play D&D. <laughs> that's a good question. And that's a whole separate conversation about uh, <laughs> the administrative quirks of the after-school setting, um, mm. but yes, it, they some have chosen to come back. I don't know, but we've our roster has actually changed quite a bit um, uh, over over the last the, the last couple of semesters. So uh, I'll say that students do have the option of opting in, but I think also um, some floaters or not all the students who, who do come to us know what it is, why they're there or, or what's going on whatsoever. So yeah. it seems to be a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of my question too, was they don't, do they think like this is just a and d club where they're playing? Like, are they aware of all of the learnings that are happening? That's a funny story uh, because we had one, one of my favorite students, <laughs> Who was he's like a fifty year old in a third grader's body, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he was the funniest kid, um, or he is the funniest kid, I should say. He's still with us. Um, but he he came in the first day, 
And he sat down and, you know, I had my whole community reward system. This is what, who we are. Here's what we do. Let's make introductions. Let's have a nice little warm up. Let's, let's start cooperating, building team, team and team working camaraderie. And he just sits down and he goes, what's unboxed? Ah. And I was like, oh, well, we're, we're about to go through that. Like, let's chill for a second and we'll, we'll go through everything. And then as soon as we mentioned D&D, he got really excited and he said, the board game? And I said, no, it's, a, it's an action RPG. And I'll, I'll start to explain what an RPG was. And he goes, no, it's not. It's a board game. I've seen it. I was like, well, I, I think there is a board game version, but we're actually playing the RPG. He's like, no, from Stranger Things. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's actually, it's, it, it is an RPG. And I went in through all the, how that got to the scenes that he was familiar with. And that's one of the double-edged swords I found about D&D becoming more mainstream is that a lot of people think it's just about that really romantic climax of the final dice roll and the mm. fiero and throwing your arms up. Um, and they don't have as much familiarity with uh, the character development and the planning and the campaign and the stuff that goes into, into that crescendo. Uh, so trying to explain that to him, he just would not have it. And he actually had a huge meltdown because we didn't have the D&D board game. Um, so that was... <laughs> So familiar with D&D it, it is kind of a double-edged sword, but, um, but once we actually explain the mechanics of it and started getting into character development and world building, then then they 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 got on board, especially when when they finally understood what, what dice rolling was and, and how to utilize the dice. I've had adults have that same meltdown <laughs> <laughs> with me when they're like, how do you win? <laughs> right? Right? Where are the pieces? Monopoly uh, is their only uh, lens through which they have viewed Dungeons and & Dragons. And, and they're like, no, yeah, you need a board to play on. And then Stranger Things, of course, has that scene where they flip the board over and it talks about mm -hmm. the upside down. So it has that kind of through line there. So I can see the confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, likewise. But uh, but they they don't, yeah, they generally don't know what they're getting into, um, but they still have that same look of awe every time we break out a new game and we get to unbox it or get a new component. Um, or I, I do lots of stuff with maps and souvenirs and miniatures and, and they get the same oh, sort cool. of awe when we do that. Uh, but uh, the learning is we're slowly titrating that in. But again, we're just trying to get that that rapport, those relationships, that trust, that democratization and culture set in place. And then we're slowly adding the learning because um, I can't stress how devastating the pandemic has been for this particular group of students. And and we had we we had another one of these really pretty ideas where we came in and we're going to be like, okay, we have this awesome spy social deduction party game. Um, it's going to be a great warm up and a great uh, cultural starter for them. We started playing. It just crashed and burned. We had no idea what was going on. Um, nobody was engaging. No one knew what was going on. We were pretty much just running the game ourselves. And then as, when I was instructing one of the students um, in how to, and this was third to sixth grade, and I was instructing one of the students how to play and, and giving him some advice for what he should do and told him to look at the text on the card, he he raised his hand and said, oh, I can't read. And I said, <gasps> oh. And then, and then seven, other, seven of the other 10 students raised their hand and said, yeah, I can't read either. And so we realized, oh. <laughs> oh, that's why there's no one yeah. engaging. <laughs> wow. So yeah. That is, yeah. But like I said, you have a third grade student who hasn't hasn't been in a classroom for two years, and that's yeah. that's the main years for le learning how to read, write, and do math. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of literacy problems right now with with that age group. That's interesting. Yeah, we have a a, a, fa a family friend uh, whose um, youngest is in that boat, right? Where we all we all have a very game playing activity. Uh, plan and she always wants to participate but then as soon as it becomes like oh you have to read in front of mm -hmm. not only her peers but also adults yeah 
it's it just becomes a stressful situation yeah. uh, for them. And so it's like, yeah, maybe it's not best. But at the same time, let's work with you and try to figure out how to how to uh, get over that fear. Because the last thing you want to do is have it feel like it's uh, a detriment to having any kind of social interaction. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, Stefan, one, in one of our conversations we had, you told this fascinating story about um, playing with the, the students and how they like had their own business. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like using role-playing as part of like, and it was so fascinating. And I, is it, is it, could you share a little bit about that, that case study or, or that experiment you did with the kids? Because I think it's a really good example of how you can make learning really fun and exciting with games. Yeah, and yeah, the learning was almost completely invisible to me. Even. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it was my absolute most fun campaign of all time. And we're it's it was an entrepreneurship campaign that we ran and we're finally getting to run it and unbox next semester, which is the the economic portion has not been marketing well. Um site coordinators don't haven't seen the value in it yet. So I'm like, I'm just gonna not tell you and do this. So yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it was the 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 last year that I ran the campaign um in my old elementary school. And by that point, a lot of the kids had been there for multiple years and they started to tire of the, the linear campaign. And so I just asked, what do you, what do you want to do? And so they said, um, maybe we can start a band. And so they started a band and, and that didn't do very well. That wasn't that fun. And so we thought, thought of some other ideas and I don't, I don't know who, but someone had the idea to, to start a, a business. And I said, okay, what kind of business do we want to start? And we decided that uh, they wanted to start a, a gladiator arena and they, I forget who, one of the students named it the Brawl Hall, which I thought was was brilliant. And so nice. we founded the Brawl Hall. Um, and I was, uh, I had been, um, I've been a hobbyist with with economics and finance for a long time. So uh, I was I was not going to go easy on them. And so I put together an entire business model, the business plan, and a huge P and L. And from from when we started that that Brawl Hall, I was like, okay, here's what we need to do to grow this thing. And we had our different systems in place of, of, of random outputs. Um, but by the end of it, we had, uh, I don't know, I want to say like a five to seven page P&L. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we paid all of our taxes. Wow. Um, at, at some point, the gladiators unionized um, and they, they, they weren't going <laughs> to come back to work until they got life insurance and they had renewed contracts. Um, we, we knew the margins for our concessions and our merchandise. Um, there was an issue with the, the monsters that the gladiators killed were building up and we had some complaints and some lawsuits. So we had to hire like a, like a cremation service for the monsters that, that they killed. Um, there was a coupon system, um, for our, for our concessions. One of the kids invented this really amazing graffiti campaign where they, they went around the town and, um, hired a, a really famous graffiti artist in the, in the town to do marketing for us. Um, and there was this this emergent narrative of the gladiators that survived just randomly through dice rolls long enough, um, and we wanted to keep them alive because we became attached to some of these these gladiators. And so then we uh, invented a a, um, a commercial system where the audience could pay to to like throw weapons or throw help or armor to the gladiators if they weren't doing well. Uh, and then we eventually um, that got a little stale, and so we decided like, what do we do now? How do we grow this thing? And we realized that our concessions were, like, by and large, our, our highest margin item. And so we started to run concessions into bigger gladiator arenas. 
And then we realized that that franchising these concessions um, were the way to go. So we were pretty much the McDonald's of this universe. Oh and, and then they realized that the real money was was not having people come to the arena, but broadcasting it to people's houses. And we realized that we needed to vent like the, the world's first radio and how do we invent a radio? So we, we came up with a plan of how do we go through inventing a radio? We need some sort of magic to power a uh, battery. Um, and we need some sort of electronic know-how, some sort of broadcasting service tower, all this stuff. And so they, they each went to, to, to learn these various things. And one of the students was one of my, one of my special ed students. And he probably had, I want to say, if I remember right, maybe like a 50% chance of even graduating fifth grade at that point. Um, but he went to, he went to college in the game world for about two months. Um, I think we did it about two days after school for about an hour. So two hours a, a week for about two months, he went to college in the game to learn chemical engineering, to build this battery, because that's what he really wanted to do. He wanted to be the, the battery guy. And so he eventually, after two months, got enough knowledge and know-how and, and good roles to, to invent this, ba- this battery that, that uh, produced this, this radio that we've been after this whole time. And so after, after we had this big celebration about getting the radio done and, and approved and, and patented, uh, I asked him, chemical engineering does that does that interest you like do you want to go to college for that in real life like there's there's courses you could take and he looked at me and he said no that's not for me i'm not one of the smart kids oh it was just heartbreaking but i will say that there's according to the research there is a lot of lag so you tend to see results like that in three to five years so mm-hmm. with with good consistent teachers and motivation and feedback systems hopefully he'll start to turn around but i think that's a perfect example of learning the way you want to learn in a world and in systems that aren't telling you what you can't do, but, but rather propping up and showing you paths to get what you want and what you're going after. That's a huge project. That's incredible. This just blows me away that these are kids doing all of this. I mean, this is like how you should be learning in high school. Like, come on, how beneficial would it have been to learn all of these things, real life skills, paying your taxes. Yeah. Yeah, taking your loans, bills. Yeah. going yes. on job interviews that was one of the most fun part we had weeks in which we were went on job interviews um at one point we were we were merging with another company and so we had to go to board meetings um and negotiate the terms of this this merger um they conducted job interviews themselves and those weeks were such a blast i remember those like so vividly were you playing the npcs they were interviewing or i was doing were... a little bit of everything yeah wow i know it's truly incredible I love that because so much of what I love about RPGs is that kind of simulationist world, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, it's not just about the quest that the party is going on, but it's like, okay, no, you're 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 making decisions as if you were uh, uh, in this fantasy world. Uh, and um, I wish, yeah, I wish more more games kind of showed that off. And I'm, I'm glad that you were able to do that because it feels like so enriching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think, yeah, and as an example of something I was really excited about, something I thought was really fun. And I just brought brought myself to that full tilt. And I think they really fed off that and they really learned. And I just showed like, this is why I think this thing is so fun. I'm going to try and make it fun for this group of kids. And I think it worked really well. So I, there's no reason I wouldn't work in a historical context, uh, in a science context, you know, entrepreneurship context, literary context, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you find as, a, as an educator uh, is, is exciting to you and why it's exciting, what's fun about it, you can absolutely bring to a gamified way. Absolutely. Uh, so you've you touched on research. You said the research shows that those learnings 
what happened three to five years. I'm sure mm. that you are very steeped in research. So <laughs> like what what are you seeing? Like I feel like just because of the the just dipping our toe into the education space with D and D, but I've seen a lot of positive research about um, how games can positively impact kids and learning and social emotional. But there's also a lot of old research about how there's a lot of negativity around yeah, video yeah. games and playing games. So where what what what's the shift in the like what what are we seeing now and how do you parse out the the different types of, of research and make your own decisions? Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions. I'll, I'll defer the stuff about motivation because that, that gets really murky when you talk about intrinsic extrinsic motivation and tilting it one way or the other too much. But in terms of stuff that, that uh, I can comfortably debunk, and this is all with that caveat that, you know, no, no study is, is perfect. There's lots of interpretation issues, lots of powering issues, et cetera. But um, I I really like the the, the research that's coming that's coming out that's debunking some of the the myths about violence in games. Um, there there is I think uh, reliable studies that'll show that there is a short persistence of, of violent attitudes after violent games. But when I say that, I mean like fifteen minute spans, and it's more of an anti social anti social attitude. Um, but one of my favorite studies compared uh, what was actually creating violent attitudes is more around difficulty than actual content. And so they, they did a study where they uh, re... Um, Sorry, I'm re- laughing because I'm here. I'm, I'm remembering me throwing the controller against the wall when I couldn't get uh, the, the arcade game uh, kind of going. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that tracks. But only what? within the 15 minutes after you played it. Right? It's true, right? After and then 15 you're like, okay, yeah, mark, yeah, and it kind of goes yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, but there's one where they, they re-controllered the... Um, uh, Tetris to where each shape was a different input. Um, and and so they people just could not figure out how to move these things because every shape you had to move in a different way on the controller. And they did that versus uh, a simpler um, violent game. I think it was some maybe a, a World War II or, or contemporary first-person shooter. Uh, and then they measured violent attitudes. And the violent attitudes for the people playing the Tetris game were orders of magnitudes higher than with the with the violent content. Uh, so I think there is a lot of, of research coming out about violence. Um, and not only that, but there's just lots of research that shows that um, higher test scores, better peer relationships, lower stress, fewer mental health issues, more neural connections with with game players um, as a way as, as also, um, especially with tabletop games and role play, it's actually developing your prefrontal cortex um, and and actually mitigating or tempering, especially with aggressive uh, aggressive kids, it's uh, it's tempering their amygdalas, um, and it's doing that in in training your fight or flight response to where you're you're engaging in that fantasy and that abstracted role play. You're actually training yourself about how to resolve those conflicts and some of the consequences that you you don't want and some of the positive consequences you do want. So when you're actually engaged in a very high cortisol situation, you can actually recall that stuff that you've been practicing in the game world uh, and you have much better reactions uh, and much more even empathy when engaged in those situations versus people who have never actually gone through that role-playing techniques. Mm-hmm. There's that empathy again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for that, because I've always heard my entire life, you know, games are bad. 
not not even uh, uh, role playing games, but especially as you mentioned the violent video games, and I mm. always had the exact same instincts that this research is now meeting out, where it's like, no, it's 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 not that that spurs on violent thought. It is it's actually you know, and there's lots of sport and things out there that have violent natures within them, and no one is saying that oh, if you play if you're a boxer, you're going to be more violent or things like that, right? Like there, there's, there seems to be this, this, this disconnect there. So I, I, I love that that research is now out there and, and hopefully will become more, I don't know, standard thought for parents mm-hmm. as they're, as yeah, they're which is about just part of the conversation. Yeah. Just part of the conversation. And mm-hmm. on that topic, there is some really interesting research that during the pandemic, when sports shut down, mm-hmm. um, violent activity actually increased. And there's a theory that because sports are an outlet for a lot of people, like vicarious form of competition and getting getting coming some of that stress and aggression out, that without without that sort of outlet, that uh, people themselves need other other violent outlets, and it becomes more personal. That's very interesting. I've also mm-hmm. heard yeah. uh, uh, a similar thought of how how in in general violent crime has decreased since 1990. I think. Yep. yep. And, uh, and and a lot, not just like a little bit, but a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Violent okay, crime yeah. is down, um, and many people correlate that with the rise of, of video games uh, mm-hmm. uh, because it showed an outlet. It allowed people to yeah. have those those highs and lows uh, in a uh, in a digital simulation, and so uh, it is. You know, you can't really say I mean, correlation is not necessarily causation, but you can think about it. Maybe maybe it's true. Yeah, I exciting stuff. So exciting. Love the work that you're doing. So um, happy to to help bring it to more people's attention. So that all being said, where would people be able to find you and learn more about the work that you're doing with Unboxed and maybe help donate to the cause? Our main resource is unboxedclassroom.com. Uh, that's got all of what we're about, some of our outcome data. Uh, it's got donation links. Um, it's got some of our future plans. And it's got a blog that I I used to update monthly. Now I'm getting a little bit lazy about that when school's in <laughs> session. But I do have a, an article about curiosity and imagine, imagination coming out tomorrow. So our blog has a lot of these sorts of theories, ideologies, philosophies, values, and guiding principles that you can keep up with, as well as some tips and tools for implementing game-based learning in the classroom. How did awesome. you source this uh, pull quote on this website? <laughs> <laughs> it says, I wish there had been a program like this when I was a kid. Everyone said that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it is true. Uh, I was thinking the exact same thing throughout the course of this interview. I wish uh, there was a, a teacher or an educator like you out there when I was a kid. No kidding. Awesome. Hopefully, well, thank you. thanks to this program, there will be more. Exactly, right? We're, we're, we're spreading them out there. Yeah. Yeah. Be the DM you want to see in the world. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to take that to heart <laughs> and go into Friday with that. Make yeah. it happen. I am. Thanks awesome. so much, Stefan. You're doing great Thank work. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to see more of this around the world. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, we'll definitely have to be part of it. Rolling the dice. Making things happen with kids, adults, and people who play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, it's helping people. It's been a while since we talked to someone who feels like they know so much about the research that goes into, you know, something that we love to do, right? We just love to play and and roll dice and and make people laugh and, you know, hopefully uh, complete the quest and, and, and forget like, but... I, I love talking to people who have these grounded like research and reasons and thoughtfulness into 
what each facet of this game does for, for, for different players, especially kids. And, like, Stefan is a great example of that, but, like, there's so many people out there doing it right now that we don't even know about that are that are doing it. It's yeah. just, that's just, like, the coolest part of our job. That Each shard yeah. of existence uh, of simulation that is occurring at each t- D&D table, somebody's learning something. Somebody's one learning something. Something is happening that's going to impact you very positively in your life right yeah. now. Right now. Amazing. In fact, it could be happening right now. Oh, a, oh. another one just happened. An experience point just went up. Whoop. You see like all the ting, 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 all the experience points in the world. Somebody just became 3% more empathetic. I think that's how the research part of that works. Yeah, that's the, that's their voice. Yeah, that's uh, 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 it's, it's a little that's bit creepy. Out research voice. <laughs> <laughs> when I talk about science, Still, that voice just always reminds me of the the other frogs in uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. It was like, "Hey, oh. girl, hey, girl, Fish makes me ill, girl." <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> Research shows. <laughs> <laughs> Fill her up film. Ah. Uh, all right. Uh, so that was amazing. Thank you to Stefan, who is making all that happen. And definitely go check out Unboxed Classroom to learn more uh, about what they're doing and read that amazing pull quote uh, because I think that is attributable to everyone listening to this podcast right now. Yes. Excellent. Agreed. If you want to find out about everything that's going on with D&D, head to D&D Beyond. That is a wonderful repository where you can make lots of wonderful characters uh, and get some digital stuff happening. You can also follow me at <laughs> Greg Tito um, on many, many different social things, including Hive, co-host, Mastodon, oh and God. still Twitter, uh, Instagram as well with Greg underscore Tito. What about you, Shelley? Um, you can find me uh, at Shelly Moo on Twitter, on Instagram. You can also go to my website at ShellyMazinoble.com. I'm like, I think I'm going to try to update that more often. That's a good call. Yeah. I, I actually need to make a website. I've been tinkering around in my, in my spare time. And that's hard. I don't have the skills to be like, how do I make this work? It's a template. You just make a template. But even the templates don't match exactly. Ah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a visual brain. That's part of the problem. Yeah. But I, I'm excited about people getting our book. Welcome to Dragon Talk. If you haven't picked it up yet, please check it out in your local area. Maybe at the library if they were so kind as to get a copy. But you can also get it as an audio book that Shelly and I read ourselves. Uh, Yes, you can. That is out now. It is out now. That's right. So if you're waiting for an audio book, go grab it. It is... I haven't actually even listened to it yet. I don't know if it's good. Do you think it's good? Uh, I haven't listened to it either. I'm a little nervous. I wonder if there's actually a sample available that we can just listen to. Oh, yeah. I bet your parts are good. I bet your parts are good. All of your voices uh, are are coming to life. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you don't even know that it's me who's reading it because it's a different voice every chapter. <laughs> I'm just, all, I'm warming up my NPC voices for Friday. For Friday, you got Hi it. You guys, got it going on. who wants to go to Stormwreck Island? <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't do that thing where you pick a voice that's like hard to stay consistent in the entire time <laughs> and then have to do it the entire session with that NPC. That's the what worst. If, what if they like the voice so much they keep talking to that NPC? Like, oh. That's, that's an the hour danger. and a half. Okay. Kids will mess it up. Kids, will do that. I gotta go. Oh. Um, my secret is to try to make all of my NPCs sound like me, uh, which I've been doing very well with Drunky Two Shoes, oh, who yeah. is now in the Radiant Citadel and just had her old friend Samson from Waterdeep show up. Uh, in tow is Jonathan Tabaxi from the House of Convalescence. Uh, and unfortunately, Samson uh, has to go pay his dues, has to pay the toll to enter the Radiant Citadel. And so he's being taken by some guards to the Passage of Respite. Uh, and you are following along there with Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, so the guards are kind of just taking Samson, and he's like kind of confused trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. It's not very clear that what you're supposed to do when you get here. It's kind of weird. Not going to lie. Maybe I could help with your messaging a little. <laughs> Well, Jonathan and Jonathan uh, kind of says, "Well, I, most people only arrive here through the the auroral diamonds. The, the these portals that seem to have come from wherever you came from are are strange to us. They don't normally happen." So the Aurora Diamond people don't have to report or pay dues. No, they do, and and they enter at uh, a place. Look, it's right up there, and we're on our way. Um, that's this is the you know uh, similar to uh, a gate in your city perhaps this is what this is the gateway into the city here. Okay, well, let's do this. Okay, so you guys make it to uh, that area and you see a lot of these. Uh, there's space for 26 uh, diamonds. Some of them are dormant and not moving uh, and uh, are uh, not um, not lit. Uh, but you see uh, a good number of them, almost 15. Uh, moving up and down in various speeds. Uh, I'm using my hands as they're going up and down a lot, but you guys can't uh, see that in an audio format. Um, and you see one of them kind of enter and stop, and there's like a little bit of a thunk as the this large diamond that's about the size, or large jewel that's about the size of a um, like a gymnasium uh, come down, and magically the front of it opens up, uh, and you see several wagons uh, of... Um, foodstuffs, you know, like uh, wheat, uh, bushels of hay, uh, other kind of uh, barrels of things, um, led by uh, magical creatures, uh, six-legged rocks uh, who are bringing in uh, what looks like a shipment of food. Wow. And there's several guards who are kind of monitoring this. It looks like this has been done before, uh, and uh, they are being carted to uh, a warehouse near the trade disc hall, and a little... As you're kind of seeing it happen, they start going towards that area. Uh, but then you see Samson. Uh, he's by a small building talking animatedly to several of the guards. I want to go to him. I'm worried. All right. You head over there and you see him saying, but I don't know where I am. I just met my uh, a friend of mine back there. Oh, oh here she is. Please w tell them what happened. I don't know what happened. We... Him and I both just got sent here. We didn't ask to come here. We just woke up here. Um, and the guards say, uh, well, that is uh, fine and, and, and good, but uh, uh, you still, the laws say that you must uh, pay to enter. Oh, uh, I offered you free drinks at Drunky Two Shoes, the tavern. 
that it was very enticing, but unfortunately uh, not applicable here. Well, I thought you were. I thought it was just a jest. I didn't realize you were you were being serious. I do believe that my legacy of the Two Shoes Clan carries some clout around here. <laughs> the only people who carry clout around here are the speakers. I am a speaker. <laughs> you do realize impersonating a speaker is a crime punishable by exile. No, I I have been referred to as a speaker, so I didn't know I was impersonating anybody. Who referred to you as a speaker of of the, the Radiant Citadel? The people. Do you have of, a? No, um, I was a speaker of Waterdeep. You were a speaker of Waterdeep. I am. I am your peer. Do you have a dawn incarnate that uh, has Im- imbued you with this power? Y- yes. I see. Um, roll me a deception check. Oh, crap. Credit it. Twenty-two. Are you serious? You yep. got a 20? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Oh, yeah, he says, uh, well, th- this is highly irregular. I've never seen anything uh, like this. Uh, but um, what I can say is if you are, as I said before, if you can pay the uh, 500 gold pieces that are necessary uh, to enter him, uh, I will uh, remand him into your custody. I... Cannot, but here is what I can do. I can offer you safe passage and free admission to Waterdeep. We shall have a a sisterhood of the traveling crystals, and you will be um, royalty in the town of Waterdeep now, and I can come here. Maybe grab a bite to eat at Drunky Two Shoes, and you can come to Waterdeep and maybe do like a fun little boat cruise through the harbor, and we'll help each other out with um, things. You 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 continue going on, and the guard is starting to get distracted. He's looking at the other diamonds that are coming down. There's another big shipment happening. There's only six guards here who are managing. Uh, all this traffic, uh, as well as a um, a priest uh, who looks oh. to be uh, has pointy ears and uh, blonde hair and uh, uh, strange looking eyes, uh, and they kind of catch the eye of Jonathan and are just kind of like you, you see him as uh, ask uh, Jonathan, "Is this for real? Or do you vouch for for this individual?" Oh. Um, and Jonathan says, yep, everything's fine here. I know you and I have worked together at the House of Convalescence. Um, and the guard uh, is kind of watching that happen and says, I, I, I'm too busy for this. Just make sure you don't uh, get in trouble. No, we would never. I don't want anybody to know. Just just move along and I'll see you in the bar later. Oh. And he I'll goes off. To, he, you know, he uh, starts uh, dealing with another diamond that comes down. Whew, thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> no problem, but we should probably get out of their hair. Before... Let's, let's go. Uh, and then he kind of exchanged nod, nods with the uh, elven healer there and uh, says, come on, come on. And Samson says, am I, am I free to go? Am I, am I abiding by the laws? Stop asking questions, Samson, and just go. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Let's go. Uh, and you guys strode off... Uh, um into the city. Can I do an insight check on that healer dude? Yeah. 
Go ahead. 19. 19. Um, he, with a 19, you can tell that he is, uh, he knows Jonathan and understands um, kind of what's happening here, but you get a sense that he is not necessarily um, uh, working for the good of everyone there. You get you get like a little like a, mm, that doesn't feel mm. right. What just happened? Yes. Okay. Because and then and then uh, with that you might also detect a hint of uh, magic coming from him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, we'll see what you do with that next time. Yeah. Good to know. Grunky's very insightful, shall we say? She is. She is. She figured that out. Excellent. All right. Okay. We'll see if you can recruit more folks to your side soon. I'm building an army. Next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.